0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chadwick. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen continues her eight-part series of four interviews exploring the roots and history of attachment theory. In her next two episodes, Karen welcomes author Bethany Saltman back to the show for part one of their two-part conversation on Mary Ainsworth's strange situation procedure and her contributions to attachment theory. Part two will be released on Tuesday, May 25th.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am Karen Buckwalter, your host for the podcast, and you are joining us today for another interview in our series on the history of attachment theory. Today, I am going to be speaking with Bethany Saltman, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her in a minute, but wanted to let you know that we are going to be discussing Mary Ainsworth and her contributions to attachment theory. Now, Bethany Saltman has been on the podcast before. And so if you did not hear that episode, I would encourage you to seek it out. Um, We can mention where it is in the show notes. But Bethany Saltman, when she was on before, was... Uh, interviewed about her amazing book called Strange Situation, A Mother's Journey into the Science of Attachment. If you have not purchased and read that book, I highly recommend it. Um, Bethany Saltman is an author, award-winning editor, and researcher. She's written for many magazines, such as The New Yorker, New York Magazine, Atlantic Monthly, and of course, as I mentioned, her 2021 release of the book strange situation she also does a lot of coaching with authors um, and so that is another area of expertise that she has so I am very much looking forward to talking with her about the incredible contributions that Mary Ainsworth made to attachment theory so stay tuned the interview will be coming right up so bethany welcome back to the attachment theory in action podcast thank you for having me so i was thinking oh wow it wasn't really that long ago that we had spoken so i looked it up actually it was june 2020 that we recorded recorded the podcast. And then it released in August 2020. So listeners, if you want to look back at our previous episode with Bethany about her book, um, that's when that happened. But it's amazing how time flies, isn't it?
2: amazing totally yeah especially these days
1: yeah so i'm so grateful for your willingness to be part of uh our series about the history of attachment theory and um of course uh well, the person the very important person we're going to talk about today is mary Ainsworth, um who who the inspiration for much, much of your book was drawn from.
2: Indeed. Indeed. Yeah.
1: So could you just start out with telling us a little bit about, you know, what what drew you to be so interested in her? And um, then we'll go much more into her life and her contributions.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, Well, first of all, I'm so glad that you're doing this because, you know, you can't, um, you know, a day doesn't go by that we don't all hear somebody talk about attachment, Um, attachment styles, this attachment styles, that, and, um, you know, setting aside how we might feel about the term attachment styles versus patterns of attachment, which is a whole conversation within the field um, and what we, you know, how we understand all of that. Um, we know so little as a culture about where this comes from, and we know even less about one of its maverick female scientists, Dr. Mary Ainsworth. So, you know, usually we hear about John Bowlby and how he worked with, um, and how Mary Ainsworth was, quote, his student, which she in fact never was. Um, yes. Was never his student. She was his colleague. She worked with him at Tavistock Clinic in London in the 50s. Um, and so she did work. For him, but she was never his student, and very quickly they became peers and colleagues. So this is one of my, you know, the patriarchy is, you know, always at work, never sleeps, and is always um, pulling her work down and showing, you know, highlighting John Bowlby and not um, revealing. Her incredible contribution. So I'm so glad to have this opportunity. And I'm really glad that you're taking the time to actually talk about the history of this field because it's fascinating.
1: Yes, yes. So, Bethany, I have to like have a true confession in that when I first started to study attachment theory and reading about John Bowlby and the early history and reading that he put an ad in the paper for someone to do research and i had this like exactly what you're talking about sort of like oh you know she sort of came on as a research assistant and you know what a great opportunity for her and honestly until i started to delve further into this may have thought that for I'm embarrassed to say maybe a couple of years. I don't know. Oh, so then well, I, You're not
2: alone. I mean, there's yeah. no embarrassment.
1: And so I start to study her and I'm like, whoa, 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 like, wait a minute. She had a whole body of research that she had done herself. All of these amazing accomplishments that we'll talk about, including starting university at age 16. She, you know, she had all of these amazing things that she had done on her own before, you know, any kind of collaboration with him. And I was amazed. I was absolutely amazed, and it made me think I never – want to talk about attachment theory without giving her the credit that is due. So I'm just absolutely thrilled to talk about this with you.
2: That's so great. I'm so glad to hear that. It means a lot to me and to, you know, I have a daughter who's 15. Her name is Azalea. And it means a lot to me and, and to her and to girls around the world who are working their butts off and whose accomplishments always get shadowed by their male peers Mm -hmm. and you know this is it's happening today you know she goes to a progressive school all the rest of it and it she comes home from school all the time talking about how in fact she just got accepted to an all-girls school and she's gonna go because Mm -hmm. like enough, enough with this. So anyway, I don't want to take us totally off track, but I wanted to give context. Yes. Why it is so important that everybody studies Mary Ainsworth. Not that John Bowlby is an incredibly important and fantastic and genius and brilliant, so is Mary. So how did I get turned on by her? Um, Well, it was really personal. Um, My daughter, Azalea, was born 15 years ago, and I was a total nut job basket case, um, you know, totally freaking out about being a mother. Uh, I I absolutely believed that when she was born, I would be sort of touched by some kind of a magic wand that would turn me into a mother. And I would learn how, I would just automatically, I mean, I I think I actually even had these thoughts that I'm going to learn how to be patient. I'm going to just become a kind and loving, you know, person, and not that I'm not kind and loving, but you know, I have my edges, and I am not particularly maternal in the ways that I had always envisioned being maternal. So when that did not happen, and I was really stuck with myself, while well, at the same time loving her so much that I feared I would hurt her, I began to, um, and I was a researcher, and I was a writer, you know, as I still am, and so. I started to um, look into this with my kind of research mind and and I had heard about attachment, like attachment parenting and did not care for it, even though there were lots of things I liked about it, like carrying her in a sling and things. But then I started to do some research into attachment and 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 and, and just like into this whole world, like what does it mean to be, to love my daughter, you know, like how, how does this thing work? Um, I felt so guilty. I felt so much shame. Um, I felt so convinced that I was doing it all wrong because I, I didn't meet the internal working model, if you will, that I had in my own mind of what a loving mother was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. So in that journey, I stumbled upon the strange situation and loved the phrase and was like, Ooh, what is that? And it sounds really terrifying. Um, And I started to learn about it, which is, you know, the strange situation, as you know, of course, is a 20-minute laboratory procedure. Um, And with this series of comings and goings, separations and reunions, um, the trained observer can see the quality of attachment that the caregiver and the baby have in um, 20 minutes. And, Mm -hmm. And we do the strange situation at one year old. And and I was like, oh, wow, you know, because my baby, I had this baby, and I, of course, was putting myself in that position and wondering how she would do and how would I do and all the rest of it. And then I started to see pictures of Mary Ainsworth, who was the creator of the strange situation. And I just, you know, like, how can you explain love? <laughs> I just fell in love with her. And yeah. she kind of reminded me of my grandmother. Um, she looked grandmotherly in this really, there's some... Thing about her face, and this is true in like every photograph of her, she looks so um, sharp, kind, and um, and really like attentive. But she's not she's not soft. She doesn't look gooey. She doesn't look you know like that kind of maternal image that I had in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, and she just looked really really smart. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, hmm, you know, I was very, very drawn to her. And I wanted to see myself the way I imagined she might see me. And so it became this real, um, like magical journey that I went on, getting to know her and her work, because I I just sort of grew to love her as this spirit guide, if you will. Yeah. I wanted to learn more about how she might understand me because I I came to trust her. It sounds so kind of out there, but what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> this is how it often works in a creative project. You meet yes. someone and they just grab you. And and I should say to your listeners, she had been long dead or not long, but she had been dead for some time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah, that's, that's how I got interested. And then when I realized I couldn't talk to her, Um, or ever meet her, I started to just delve into her work and through her work. And then when I started writing the book, her archives and um, her letters and all the rest of it, I I got to know her and it was um, a very powerful experience for me.
1: Yes. 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 I love it. Um, So, you know, one of the things I was thinking about when you were talking about the strange situation, and maybe now is as good a time as any to, to bring it up, but I think some people don't will realize that what the strange situation was was she found after observing the families in Uganda, which maybe you'll talk about, sure. she was taking all of her natural home observation and finding a way how could I like consolidate all of those discoveries I made? into a procedure that could be shorter. So, so so we didn't have to do hours and hours and hours of at-home observation. And just I, I just wanna mention the brilliance of that, that this wasn't just um, something she one day just threw together. <laughs> it, wow. it, it was related to all of those experiences and the hours of watching patterning Yes, yes. Yes. So
2: okay. I don't know if you want to add more to that. But you know. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, mm-hmm. here's the thing. Um, the truth is that it was thrown together. Well, Very I did see a thing where she said, we just came up with it because it was a 20
1: minute reel of film. And I did see a quote exactly. from her that it, that, as that came out of my mouth, I did remember that <laughs> thrown together in a way, but not in another way. Maybe
2: I should say right. Well, so here's the amazing, amazing story about how the strange. Okay, strange. I'm ready. <laughs> so, so when she went to um, London with to work with Don, John Bowlby as his research assistant, so that story is true, um, and he was coming up with the um, the you know brand new radical theory of attachment, which he deserves full credit for. Um, she and you know and the the premise of that um, that theory is that Prime, prior, prior to that, people in the field had believed that children love their parents because they feed them. Right. It's super shorthand. Yes. And that these feelings of love, like if, if someone didn't show up with the food, like you, you would love whoever fed you in this very behaviorist kind of like mat, rat in a maze kind of thing. And Bowlby said, no, that's not true. We mourn our parents when they're gone. Um, we grieve for them. We need them. And it's a biological, this, this thing that he called attachment is a biological system of needing not just food. Um, in fact, food is nothing, like anyone can feed us. What we need is attention. We need to feel felt. We need to be safe. And, um, and, and so that was the radical, which doesn't sound too radical to us now, but at the time it was. <laughs> So when Mary Ainsworth was there and, and he was doing all of this study into maternal separation and there was a, uh, another man who worked there named Jimmy Robertson who was making films. Um, it's a famous film that some people may have heard of. The two-year-old goes to hospital um, about um, this little girl who goes to the hospital and is separated from her parents and she's mad and he is giving life voice to this. He, he you know documents her in the hospital and, and, and how she becomes very withdrawn. And so this became part of the um, the support for Bowlby's theory. So when Mary was there, when Ainsworth was there, she didn't believe that what Bowlby was saying was true. Um, And she refers to that as herself being so, quote, brainwashed that she couldn't see it. She really believed the prevailing beliefs of the time that children um, love their parents because they feed them. What she was really interested in was Jimmy Robertson's work, this um, data collection through natural observations. This is what really grabbed her. Um, Now, when she was in the University of Toronto getting her PhD, she did do her work on um, this uh, secure base idea that John Bowlby credits her for—that is her—that um, is her phrase, secure base—and and talking about how college students still need their parents in order to help them explore the world. That was her dissertation. So that was in her mind; she was thinking about these things. But what really turned her on was this idea of the naturalistic observations. So. So she was married to a younger man named, um, oh, my gosh, Len. And, um, and he first went to uh, London, which is why she went to London with him. And then he wanted to go to Uganda. She didn't want to go to London. She didn't want to go to Uganda. But being a woman of her time, she went. And when because um, he, he got a job in Uganda and she said, well, I may as well do a research study of my own while I'm there. And so she wanted to see if Bowlby's um, theory was true. And she really wanted to do some naturalistic observations, like like, um, her colleague from London. So she, you know, this is, um, you know, Mary Ainsworth throwing together a little research study. She learned the language in like, you know, she went away to some, um, distant, not distant, but like out of the, some immersive experience where she learned the language enough to be able to talk to tribal chiefs in order to gather up 26 mothers and their babies in order to do the first um, series of observations in the home. She wasn't sure in the beginning that it was going to be about attachment because she didn't really believe that it was true. But in no time, she said she, it was, you know, like a complete and utter paradigm shift. She saw immediately that these relationships between the mothers and the babies were in fact real and that they had nothing to do with food and they had everything to do with secure base behavior. And she was riveted and totally sold on Bowlby's idea. So that was stage one. She's in Uganda. She's seeing this happen before her very eyes. Um, Now, of course, in Uganda, she is the first white person that most of these people had ever seen. Mm -hmm. And so when she then went back to Baltimore, because of course, Len had to go back to Baltimore, um, she found that she she immediately wanted to replicate the study. And so since she was in Baltimore, she said, well, why don't I try to replicate it in Baltimore? Uh and so she got a grant for it. And that's when the Baltimore study began. And, um, you know, these things took time, of course, and so much grit on her part.
1: Yes, I understand enough. that in Uganda, she had, you can confirm or disconfirm this, like even very little money to put this oh, thing Nothing. nothing. Like, she had to be so creative, industrious, like figure this out. And she
2: had this scientific drive to figure this out, how to pull this off. Absolutely. She did. You know, she says so casually, you know, about like her sickness and her the difficulties and, you know, the the intensity of this world and these moms who she just falls in love with. She loves these women so much, wants to help them. I mean, I could we could do a whole session on that, but I, I will respect the time. <sighs> Um so when she gets to Baltimore and she gets this the same exact study but much more meticulously conceived with the 26 mothers and their babies at, and she wanted to get the most different population on earth that she could which she did you know mothers in Uganda and suburban mothers in Baltimore
1: very important for a
2: replication study and looking Absolutely absolutely and so apply to other groups of people <laughs> yeah, No exactly and so So when she started to, so she went into the home and she did like 72 hours of direct observation per family. And then, so it was a series of like 28 visits, I believe. And and in the last, so near the end of the first wave of her study, she realized that the secure base behavior between the mothers and the babies was different in Baltimore than it was in Uganda. Everything else was really seeming to line up of what she was observing. Mm -hmm. But one thing was different. And she thought, because the babies in, in the United States didn't use their mothers as much as secure bases. They were more comfortable being with other people. And she also thought, you know, maybe I'm the X factor with these babies because they're used, these kids are used to people like me. In Uganda, they weren't. So of course they were gonna be more anxious. So they might use their mother as a secure base more readily. So that's when she decided, let's, let me take them into the lab and goose up their attachment system and make them a little nervous. And so that I can replicate what I saw in Uganda, which was them looking at this white lady. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that's how the strange situation really began, and so her and her friend, or her friends, her um, students cooked up the strange situation in about twenty minutes, and um, decided, okay, let's put them in a lab and, and let's let's give them a little dose of anxiety with a stranger, and then take the stranger away, see how they relate to the stranger. So, so they parsed out the functioning of the secure base behavior, and then they um, started using. It with their um, with their uh, sample at the end of their observations. So, like visit twenty eight or so, maybe it's visit twenty. I forget. They would go into the lab and do this, and then she would, um, you know, back and forth. It that was her term between the incredibly intense um, at home observations that she did and what she saw in the strange situation, and saw a total match, and that's that's where we are
1: yes it's just amazing and I think I've shared before I even remember reading that um even the amount of time that the whole thing took related to a, a reel of a film exactly nope. could go that long and I always think that's such a funny little piece of trivia again sort of like it, it what I guess what I was trying to, to express earlier—in in some ways, it wasn't well thought out, but in other ways, it—it pulled, it pulled upon you know what she knew to be true and how to highlight those factors. Um, to bring, you know, stress the attachment system to the degree you could see the patterning.
2: Exactly, um, well said, well said, exactly. And that's one of the things I love about her and about learning about her process so much, you know, to see the creative process in action. And, and you know, you don't always know what's gonna stick. Right. But when you're really observing and, you know, every, every great scientist says this is true that you have to not know. And you have to just take these leaps. And if you keep looking, just keep looking, keep looking, something will arrive
1: yes yes oh well this has just been so fun so far um i'm looking forward to continuing our conversation about mary ainsworth um in part two of this interview so listeners please please join us next week as we continue our discussion with bethany saltman about mary ainsworth and her incredible contributions to attach theory.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchatik.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchatik.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.